So if you were asked, what's this thing about you that makes you different? Why is it that with all that's going on around you, that all the things you're struggling with, why is it that you still have somehow managed to have a good attitude about all of it, through all of it? Has anybody come up to you and asked you that? It's interesting because in the passage we're going to look at, Peter is going to talk about how we need to be ready to give an answer to people who ask about the hope that's within us. Are people seeing that hope in your life? Now remember, we're talking about Peter. We're going through 1 Peter, and Peter is known for his denial of Jesus. He didn't deny him once or twice, but three times Peter denied Jesus. In fact, Rembrandt did a picture of the denial of Jesus, and it's, it's interesting. So Peter is here, and he's talking to the woman, and he's saying, you can see where his hands are. He says, I, I don't know him. I don't know him. What are you talking about? And then in the shadows, you see Jesus. You can barely make it out. And Jesus is looking at Peter. It's a powerful, it's a powerful portrait of denial, isn't it? Has there been a moment or a time in your life where you've kind of been challenged about your faith and you've kind of... Well, Peter wants us to learn from his mistake, from his sin, from his denial. And that's what we want to talk about. So I I want to begin by saying this, that we're going to be looking at one of the most misunderstood People have struggled with this passage. It's confusing. It's not easy to understand. There's a couple of issues in it, and I'm going to do my best to confuse you even more. But there's three basic interpretations of this passage. Um, I want to start reading 1 Peter, and I'm going to start reading at verse 13. You can follow along with me. Chapter 3, verse 13. And here's what Peter says. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ will be ashamed of their slander for it is for is it better it, it, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than doing evil for Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God now so far we're clear this is not difficult this makes sense Peter's saying, be ready to give an answer. Even when you're maligned or mistreated, be ready to answer, but with it, do it in a, in a, in a, in a, in a fruit of the Spirit way. And then we come to the rest of the passage. Talking about Jesus, he was put to death in, in the body, but made alive in the Spirit, that we understand. But then we come to verse 19, and the NIV translates it, and being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. So that phrase, and being made alive in the NIV, literally in the Greek it just means in which, in the spirit. 
meaning that Jesus went somehow in the Spirit and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, whoever they are. And it goes to verse 20 and says, To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So essentially what it's saying is that somehow Jesus in the Spirit preached to those who in Noah's day disobeyed. So that's kind of where we come into the confusing part of the passage, okay? All right, let's move through it a little bit more because there's a couple of other issues in the passage. It was only a few people, eight in all, who were saved through water, Noah and his family, right? And in verse 21, we have another issue. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but a pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand uh, uh, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And then in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. So there's two issues we want to talk about. The first issue we want to talk about is we want to talk about and just kind of give a summary of the passage. And uh, so the major theme that Peter's talking about is suffering. He's saying that Christ suffered, and if you're one of his followers, so will you. And he brings up Noah, and he says, Noah suffered. Noah was maligned. He was mistreated. He was made fun of. He was mocked. and he said, basically, that, that if, if, if Noah suffered and he was maligned, if Christ suffered, uh, so will you. Essentially, that's the theme of this passage that we're looking at. The suffering is something that happens in our lives. Now, he says, don't suffer because you're being bad, because you're behaving badly. Don't, don't suffer because of that. Uh, essentially, what he's saying is suffering is a regular part of the Christian life. It's not something that we should be surprised by but it's something we should expect it's not something that that happens to some it should happen to all of us to some degree and peter tells us that uh, christ suffered and and if we're followers of christ it makes sense that we too will suffer now the challenging part of the passage and, and it's the challenging part of the passage is what is what is going on here who is who is Christ preaching to? Who is Jesus preaching to? And and are they alive or dead? And what's going on there? Peter tells us that Christ spoke to people. And the question is, were they dead or alive? What's going on? Well, here's what I think. There's three major, there's really more than three, there's three categories of beliefs. There's probably 15 or 20 different views of this passage. And if you read through it, you can understand that it's quite confusing. But here's what I think is going on here. I think essentially what Peter's saying is this, that Christ preached to those people during Noah's day who were maligning Noah, who were mocking Noah, who were saying there's no judgment coming. And Noah, through his work and through his words, Jesus was speaking to Noah and through Noah to the people. The Spirit of Christ was preaching through Noah to those people. They, in other words, they are being warned. That's what he's saying. 
Now, can we find an example of this in the Scripture? Of course we can. In the Old Testament, over and over and over, we're told that prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah were given God's Word. They were speaking the very words of God. They, they proclaimed, I'm, you know, I'm speaking God's Word. And many times they're preaching and teaching things that they don't even understand themselves. In fact, if you go to the New Testament, it's very interesting. Peter tells us uh, that, excuse me, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.17, it says this, that Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off and a peace to those who were near. So Paul is saying that Christ came to Ephesus to preach peace to those who were far off. In other words, they weren't believers. Well, as far as we know, Christ never went to Ephesus. What is he saying? That through Paul, through the rest of the prophets, Christ spoke to them. And that's the point, I think, that's going on here. I don't think that... And no, this is interesting because we have this Apostles' Creed and it says, some versions of it say, Jesus descended into hell. And people say, well, that, that's what Peter's talking about here. Well, I don't think so. And I don't think to see Jesus descended into hell. I think he died. I don't think he descended into hell. And I don't think he preached to dead people saying, see, I told you so. Look, I won and you lost. I don't think that's what went on. I think essentially all that Peter is saying is this. During the days of Noah, Noah suffered because he was building this huge boat in the middle of a desert with no water nearby. And people said, you're crazy, you're nuts. And Noah kept saying, Jesus kept saying through Noah, judgment's coming, you need to repent. And they mocked him and they made fun of him. And what is Peter's theme? You know, sometimes you're going to stand out from the crowd and people aren't going to get what you're doing and they're going to make fun of you. They're going to mock you and they're going to... And just like Noah, just like Jesus, it's going to happen to you. Don't be surprised by it. Suffering, misunderstanding, mocking, all of that is part of being a follower of Jesus. That's the point that Peter's making. So I think that's what's going on here. Here's the second difficult part of this passage. Peter seems to be saying that we're saved because of baptism, that baptism saves us. And essentially, it saves us from judgment and clears our conscience. All right, what's going on there? So let me just give you an overall summary of what, what I've said so far. Overall in the passage, Peter basically saying is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're part of the church of Jesus Christ, you will suffer. But understand this, suffering is a normal thing. It happened to Jesus. It happened to Noah. It's going to happen to you. They, when Noah preached, people didn't listen, but that's okay. They may not listen to you, but one day everyone will listen. Everybody will stand before the throne and be judged. I mean, judgment is coming, right? And essentially he's saying, so hang tight, even though it doesn't seem as though right now in this period of time, things aren't win we're not winning and things aren't going our way. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't be discouraged. This is not some... And, and I don't think the faith preachers and the prosperity people help us too much here because they kind of... They don't acknowledge that suffering is a real part of life. Physical and, and just all kinds of social and spiritual suffering is a part of the Christian life. It's a normal part of it. So what is this idea about baptism? Because essentially what Peter's 
it seems like he's saying is baptism saves us. So I want to tell you a story, and this will kind of help you to hopefully make sense of it. So in the 1920s, 1930s, there was this preacher, and his name was Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday was a baseball player, and he was a fairly good one. Now, the interesting thing about Billy Sunday was he was foul mouth. He was just, he was a, he was a drunk. He called himself a drunk. I mean, he was a drunk and he was a foul mouth. And, but here's what happened. He came to Jesus. He got saved. He, and he turned his life around. And so he began to do these, these tent rallies. So he's gathering all these people together and he's doing kind of like the pre-Billy Graham rallies where they have the tent, they have the singing and, and Billy, uh, Billy Sunday, he gets up and he's climbing on the pulpit and he's really, you know, he's just all over the place and he's, he's just like, he's the show in himself, but he's preaching the gospel and he's preaching, um, uh, you know, uh, just different things, prohibition and other things like that. He's preaching for prohibition and all that, becoming, coming out of alcoholism. You can understand that. But he's preaching the gospel. And so in his tents, what he found out was at, it's just like Billy Graham. He would ask people to come forward. And in his tents, you know, when you get all those people stomping down, whether it's in a field or not, you get two situations. One is you get it where it's really dry and you get dust. And it would be all this dust that would come up in the air down front. And so one of the ways they tried to fix it is they would throw water down on it. The problem with that is it got all mucky and muddy and it was, you know, it wasn't good. So what they began to do is they began to throw down sawdust. And they threw sawdust down all over the place. And so when somebody came forward, they would walk down the path and they would be down on the sawdust they called it the sawdust trail and when you walked the sawdust trail it meant that you had given your life to Jesus Christ and people would ask did you walk the sawdust trail it would be like us asking did you go forward when Billy Graham gave the invitation so when when somebody said did you walk the sawdust trail that was a euphemism that was a picture to say did you give your life to jesus did you call upon him as savior so the walking the sawdust trail didn't save anyone but it was a sign an outward sign of their inward faith and essentially that's what's going on here with Peter. Peter's not saying that salvation saves you. Essentially what he's saying is salvation is a sign that you are saved. You see, we don't get baptized to get our sins forgiven. You get baptized because your sins are forgiven. Your baptism doesn't save you. It shows you are saved. So when somebody said, have you walked this, the, the uh, sawdust trail they weren't saying did the trail save you they said but you were saved and therefore you walked the trail and when somebody says well, have you been baptized you say i was baptized but i wasn't baptized to be saved i was baptized because i am saved it's an outward expression of my inward faith now in the early church baptism and salvation were tied together they were really one thing there was very little time between a person came to christ and a person was baptized. I mean, you read the book of Acts, this is going on. You read about the Ethiopian eunuch. What's he doing? Immediately comes to Christ and he says, where's some water? I need to get baptized. It was kind of one of these things that you did right away. 
Now, we in America and in our culture and our time, we've separated those two things. So we have a bunch of people walking around who are followers of Jesus Christ who have never been water baptized. Well, baptism won't save you, but it's a powerful outward testimony of your inward faith. If you've never been baptized, you really need to seriously consider getting baptized. All right, so those are the two tricky parts of the passage. If I haven't totally confused you, hopefully I've helped to give some clarity. I don't know. We'll see. Now, what we want to do for the rest of our time is I just want to take three points. And I want to talk about this whole theme that Peter talks about and this idea of suffering. And there's, the three points are this. Number one, if we're honest, we really don't suffer for Jesus. I mean, come on, let's be honest. We live in America, and we might suffer, but we really don't suffer for Jesus or because of Jesus. Now, many of our brothers and sisters across the world, in different parts of the world, would look at us as we describe our suffering, and they might look at each other and go, yeah, they really don't understand suffering, do they? No, they really don't. Let me give you a couple of examples this is from Christianity Today. Every day, eight Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Each week, 182 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every month, 309 Christians are imprisoned unjustly. One man from Vietnam wrote this. He shared with his parents that he had become a believer in God. This is Vietnam. He had shared with his parents that he had become a believer of God. His father threatened to kill him. His confession set in motion a series of persecution incidents uh, that he says he'll never forget. Like thousands of secret believers in Vietnam, he risked his life to walk with Jesus. Every day he risks his life. A woman from India shares, every persecution is a lesson to strengthen the church. Persecution is not something new to Christians in India. They are facing it, and they are growing through it. Through the persecution, God is making the church grow. There are Christian brothers and sisters around the world that are literally suffering for their faith. And we need to be very careful about whether we, uh, we really are suffering for Jesus. I, I think I put in your notes three great resources. And here they are. The first one is Operation World, and it's renewed every year. And it basically tells you about the most persecuted uh, people groups uh, in America, excuse me, around the world. And it's just a little handbook. Another, another resource is Voices, uh, uh, Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, I think I put the website in there too. It's in the sermon guide. And uh, I'm not asking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge you to just choose one of these resources. The Voice of the Martyrs will send you kind of a daily reminder of this because I think we need to be reminded about it. And then uh, the last one is Open Doors. Open Doors is an interesting site because it gives real-life accounts of real people who are going through suffering. And so uh, if we're honest, if we're honest, we really don't suffer for Jesus. But those are three resources. I, I challenge you to choose one of those and just daily read through the stories, read through and find out that there are other people suffering. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. That's essentially what Peter's saying to us. And we need to hear that. We need to hear that. All right, here's the second point. If we do suffer, let's make sure it's not self-inflicted. Um, oftentimes, 
we suffer because we've made bad choices, or we've come across poorly, or because, you know, through our words and our, our actions, we have, we've deserved it almost. And let me give you, uh, let me give you some areas where I think right now, is, and I can only speak to the church in America and what I see in our culture, but here's what I would say, and this is critical of the church and of me, and uh, that's kind of where, where I'll leave it. I believe that we're often very critical and hypocritical. The Christians are, we often come across toxic, cynical, judgmental, arrogant, and hypocritical, and that's before 9 a.m. I mean, we are really quick to do that, right? Here's a, a Lifeway research said 70% of Protestants stop attending church for at least a year from the ages of 18 to 22. Now, the question is, why did they leave? Why do they leave? 26% said it was because church members were judgmental or hypocritical. An additional 15% said it was due to church members being unfriendly or unwelcoming. This is the generation that we're praying for, right? And they say, you come across pretty hypocritical and unfriendly. Uh, recent Barna survey said a number of respondents said they perceived present-day Christianity as judgmental, 87%, hypocritical, 85%, anti-homosexual, 91%. So I think we come across in a very bad light to people. Um, let me give you another area, and we're moving into an election year. We have today, I think we're way too political. 31% of people identify as Democrat, uh, 26%, 25% identify as Republican, 40% identify as Independent. When Jesus walked on this earth, he didn't identify with any political party. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Zealots. Simon was a zealot, one of the, and zealots were basically, essentially, they were the ones that wanted to, to overthrow Rome, and uh, so Simon was a zealot. And then you had the Essenes. The Essenes were the ones that kind of left society and tried to create their own society. But Jesus wasn't, didn't show affiliation with any of the parties. Now, again, I am not saying to you as an American citizen that you shouldn't vote, that you can choose a party. That's not what I'm saying. Understand what I'm saying is, that we need, of course, we need to be good citizens. We need to vote. We need to cry out against injustice. And we need to seek a change for the good of all people, no matter what race, creed, color, whatever. Uh, but first and foremost, we have to understand that we're citizens of heaven. Right? We are citizens of heaven. And that's our first calling. That's our first citizenship. We're in another place, Paul says, we're ambassadors for Christ. And I think we forget that sometimes. The second thing that I think we do that causes us to be kind of a, uh, an odor to the world and not a good one is that we tend to be sin choosers. What do I mean by that? I mean that we often choose and pick what sins are the bad ones. Uh, we rank our sins. We, we have these sins that are really, really bad, and then we have some other sins that we go, yeah, we probably shouldn't do it, but, you know, wink, wink, we, we all know that we do, and what are we going to do about it, right? And I believe that uh, 
that uh, we have a real problem here. For example, uh, we often overlook gossip. We off, off, often overlook look, uh, divisive, uh, sowing discord. Um, so this happened this last week. I was reading on a YouTube, and there was a YouTube thing, and one pastor was interviewed about another pastor, and they were both famous pastors. They said, what do you think about this guy saying this? And um, essentially the topic was, on uh, the one pastor was taken out of context and he says, we don't need church buildings to be the church, which is absolutely true from the New Testament because buildings weren't constructed until AD 30. Yes, Christians met in Jerusalem in the temple, but that was short-lived because they had to scatter from Jerusalem once persecuted started around AD 70. Most of the letters of the New Testament, when you read them, were written to churches, to the churches of Ephesus, to the churches of Galatia, to the churches of Thessalonica. These were small house churches. They weren't buildings, they were houses. So you don't have to have a church building to meet in to to hold to the Hebrews 11 passage which says do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together because it never says how many people have to be assembled together. Yes, there's all these one another statements that we need to carry out. Love one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. You say, how do you do that alone? Well, you can't, you have to assemble, but it doesn't say how big you have to be and it certainly doesn't say you have to be in a building. But instead of asking this pastor, instead of getting his clarity, they just took him out of context. And one of the pastor, one of the guys said, what do you think of this? Well, I just think it's, you know, and he made some disparaging comment about it. And I read some of the comments and I, and these are, I think these are all Christians because they're saying all kinds of Christian things. And they're calling this person, you know, all sorts of terrible things. And yeah, I'm not going to tell you who it was. <laughs> I know that's what you're thinking, but I'm not going to. And then I thought, wait a minute. I thought Jesus said, Father, I pray that they would be one, like you and I are one. I thought he prayed that prayer in this high priestly prayer. Father, I pray that they would be... We're not talking about a theological, divisive, you know, Jesus isn't, isn't the only way of salvation. We're not talking about that. We're, we're, and, and I don't think you're even understanding what one of, the, one of them is saying. And, and I saw those comments and I thought, this is so unchristian, but it's so acceptable. It's so acceptable to do this and to be righteously angry about it and yet Jesus said father I pray that you they would be one and I pray that you they would forgive their enemies <laughs> on the other hand we're real quick to to come down hard on certain sins I'll point out sexual sins. We, we want to condemn a person's lifestyle before they even come to Christ. So we're real quick to do that. Even though we're allowing people who are saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, even though I'm living in sin with my girlfriend, boyfriend, but the church looks the other way and says, well, kids are doing that now. 
I'm sorry, when I read the Bible about pornea, pornea basically says that any sexual relationship outside of marriage is a sin. You see what I'm saying? Don't, don't get caught up on the examples I'm giving. All I'm saying is this. We are sin choosers. We say one sin is really, really bad and other sins, oh, that's not such a sin. We let it go. We just say, that's it. There's no bib- biblical basis for ranking sins. Where do we get the, show me the, show me the chapter and verse where it says that we get to rank what sins are bad and which ones aren't so bad. As far as I know, the Bible simply says that the smallest possible sin put Jesus on the cross. And how dare we rank them? This is part of the reason why the world, when they see us go, you got nothing to give me. I don't know what you're talking about. You're hypocritical. You're angry. You don't even like your, your other Christian brothers and sisters. You treat them like dirt. Why in the world would I want to follow your Jesus? Do you know what would really stop the world in its tracks? if we Christians began to take ownership for our sins and confess them publicly, if we were to go to people that we have said or hurt or did something, and by the way, there's a biblical preference for that. It says when you know that you have something, you've done something against a brother and sister, before you come and worship, go and make things right. And making things right means to go to your brothers and sisters and say, hey, you know what? I said this, I did this, I was absolutely wrong. I take full responsibility and I ask you to forgive me because I was out of line. I think that if we began to start doing that to the rest of the world who don't know Jesus, I think their jaws would begin to drop to the floor. I've never heard that before. What are you talking about? I think if we began to show grace and mercy in the face of anger and hatred, that would cause the world to stop and take notice. I think if we would finally admit that we haven't arrived and we're just sinners saved by grace, I think the world would stop and take notice at that. I think if we would begin to humble ourselves more, I think the world would start to take notice. All right, last one. If you're not suffering, you might want to ask, well, why not? Peter essentially said to us in the passage, and he's going to say it as we go through the letter, suffering is a normal part of life. You're physically going to suffer. You're socially going to suffer. You're emotionally going to suffer. You're spiritually going to suffer. It's a part of life. This is a part of life. It's not something that you should try to avoid in in a sense. don't, Don't be dumb and bring it on yourself. But essentially, there's a whole part of life, Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation. So it's going to happen. Sooner or later, don't be surprised by it, and don't uh, learn from it, though. You see, the suffering of Christians was a powerful testimony to the world. Jesus suffered. The early church suffered. Uh, The church around the world today is suffering. And so this is a part of life. Peter tells us that we should live our lives in such a way that people ask us about the hope. Now, when do people ask you about the hope that's within you? Probably not when your life's going well. (laughs) 
It's probably when things are coming apart. And they look at you and say, you know what? Your life should really be coming apart now. And it doesn't mean you look at them with this syrupy smile and say, oh, praise Jesus for all the trouble that I've been brought to me. No, that's not what we're talking about. It's saying, yeah, this this has been the hardest year of my life. But you know what? I have this, this eternal hope. And we're in the fourth quarter, but the fourth quarter isn't over. There's still, God's still going to play this out. He's got a long plan. I've got a short vision. And, and I understand that I'm going to go through some difficult times, but that doesn't help me, that doesn't cause me to lose hope because Jesus suffered and Peter and the apostles suffered and the early church suffered and the church around me is suffering. And Peter says that I would suffer. So I understand. I don't like it. I wish it would go away, but I understand that it could be something that could make me stronger and help me to grow. And I know it's not the end of the story. Peter says, live your lives in such a way that when you go through that suffering, they see there's something very different about you. They would realize that if it would bend them to go through it, they would fall apart. But you haven't fallen apart, and they want to know why. You know, we began in talking about Peter and his failure, right? How he denied Jesus. Well, there's two ways that uh, people will see the hope in us. Number one, they'll see, people will see Jesus by our words. Look at uh, Acts 4, verses 18 through 20. So, this is Peter and John after the resurrection and the religious leaders the Sanhedrin call them in and and in verse 18 it says this they called them in again and commanded them not to teach or speak at all in the name of Jesus but Peter and John replied which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him you be the judges as for us we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard so what is amazing about this is Peter is talking to this little servant girl and he can't even say yes I know him I have that Galilean accent that you you caught with me so you know I'm a Galilean you know I belong to him yes I admit that I know him he can't even do this to this servant girl and there's a few maybe soldiers around the fire warming themselves that night here he is standing before the Sanhedrin and they they're be they're being told do not preach about Jesus anymore and Peter says whether it's to listen to you or to God I'll let you be the judge but I'll tell you what we're going to do we're going to listen to God and we're going to continue to preach and respectfully we're going to ignore what you're telling us to do and as they sent them out one of them said how in the world could this change have come across to this person, these people, these disciples? Because one minute they're running and they're hiding like little scared children. The next minute they're standing up respectfully, disagreeing with us. And it says in the text, they remembered they had been with Jesus. Are people seeing the hope in you? Are they asking you about the hope in the midst of struggles? I thought this statistic was amazing. One in five non-Christians in North America don't even know any Christians. 
that's 13,014, well, it's about 14, 14 million people. That's about the population of metropolitan Los Angeles are people who say, I've never, ever met a Christian. I don't have any friends, family members, people I work with who I abs that I know that are Christians. I don't know. That's amazing to me. Here's the last thing. People will not just see, hear our words, but they'll see our actions. So I read this to you a while ago. This is by Dionysius. Uh, it's 260, and it was an Easter letter. And he's describing what happened during the, er, the pandemic that came uh, into the early uh, Roman world. And here's what he says about the Christians. During a pandemic... Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this matter, a number of presbyters, deacons, and laymen winning high commendation so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. See, the early church saw being a martyr for Jesus Christ as an honor they didn't deserve. What did the early church do with the pandemic? If we were to liken it to a building on fire, they ran into the building risking and giving their lives. Peter says suffering is a part of the Christian life. If you're following Jesus, if you're living for him, if your words and your actions are doing that, there is a power that we can't see. There are spiritual forces and powers that are against us, that are going to come against us. And if you want to follow Jesus, you are going to cause them to bring dissension and division and misunderstanding and malignment and anger and all of those things against you. We have to decide, church, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to be the church? How are we going to be the witness that God has called us to be? If you want to go a little bit further in this study, I want to challenge you to take the sermon guide out this week. And if you can't do it with a life group, I challenge you to do it maybe with a few friends or even yourself. But uh, ask these penetrating questions that Peter said to us at the beginning. Be ready to give an answer about those who ask about the hope that you have in you. Let's pray. Help us, Father, because without your spirit, without your help, we can't do this. This is a supernatural work that we cannot do. It's humanly impossible. But with your spirit and with your help, we can do this. May others see Christ in us, and may we talk about our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. 
But Father, help us to own up to the failures, the sins that we have committed upon others and take responsibility and ownership for that. Help us to see the needs around us, Father, and to minister to those needs and help us to understand that you do not allow us to choose which sins are acceptable and which are not. Father, help us to be one like you are one with the Father and Jesus and the Spirit. And we ask that you would help us to walk um, humbly and that we would forgive our enemies and that the hope of the gospel would come pouring out of our lives through our words and our deeds this week, the weeks to come. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to close our time together in prayer. Uh, but as we do that, um, I'm going to just have you stand with me. And I want to challenge you and thank you for being here in person. And when you, if you're joining us online, thank you for joining us online. But uh, I want to pray with you. But I want to challenge you to sign up online. And uh, we love to have you come. The kids' programs are happening right now and uh, so we hope you'll join us back let's pray father as we go out as your church leaves this building as your church is listening online we pray that we would be the church you've called us to be we are not individual christians we are part of the body of christ we are part of the church and peter has taught us that suffering will come that we will fail peter failed but peter repented and got back in the game and maybe that's what we need to do father whatever you need us to do we pray that uh, we know that as we leave this place, as we, we end this time together, uh, we pray that you would allow your spirit to work in our hearts where we need work and that we would be uh, living witnesses and testimonies of the hope that you've planted in our hearts. May others see that hope. And when they ask us about it, Father, we pray that we point them to Jesus and the cross. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming today. Thanks for joining us. God bless you. Have a great week.